Greetings to you, First Baptist of Hacienda Heights, here from Christian Fellowship Bible Church. I wish we could have gathered in person, but we still praise God for technology, which allows us to deliver the message to you. Our church prays regularly for you and your pastors, and we pray that you are all doing well in the Lord and loving each other in creative ways during this time. Would you join me in prayer before we look at our passage this morning? Our Father in heaven, we pray your name would be glorified in our lives through this season. We pray we would bring glory to you by setting our hopes and affections upon you. Help us to redeem the time because the days are evil and help us to walk as children of the light and walk in wisdom. We pray your kingdom would come as you remind us that our lives are but a vapor and we long for the renewal of creation and the redemption of our bodies. We pray that the gospel would continue to advance through local churches like ours and First Baptist of Hacienda as you have scattered us in various places to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who may be more sensitive in a time like this. We pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that as your people, we would obey your revealed will as you work all things according to the counsel of your will, to the praise of your glory. We pray that you would continue to provide for our needs. Your word tells us if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content, since godliness with contentment is great gain. And as many are uncertain about the future, Remind us that you feed the birds and care for the flowers of the field. How much more will you care for your image bearers whom you have made and redeemed? We pray you would forgive us for our sins. Would you forgive us for our sins of omission and commission? Forgive us for our attitudes and even wrong views of you. Forgive us for when we doubt your goodness and your sovereignty. Forgive us when we have failed to care for others in our family and our church family. And because we have received the forgiveness of Christ, we pray we would put on Christ and forgive others as you have forgiven us in Christ. And we pray that we would be delivered from temptation and the evil one who seeks to stumble us. Help us not to be foolish during these times, but sober-minded, filled with your spirit, longing for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. All this we pray in his name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, please open to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 has been called by some pastors the greatest chapter in the Bible, with also one of the greatest promises found in the Bible, Romans 8, 28. Whole books and commentary sets and sermon series have been given on this passage. And I chose this passage because I want to address the theme of security in uncertain times. A basic definition of security means to be free from danger, fear, or anxiety. I'm sure many of you are experiencing a new normal as we live in a world of face masks, social distancing, long lines at Costco, online messages, time at home with your kids, work from home. This COVID-19 crisis is something most of us have never expected or dealt with in our lifetime. And it can cause people to fear. It can cause people to worry and panic in regards to uncertainty concerning the days ahead. This pandemic has literally put the pause button on the world where it forced the world economy to shut down, caused billions of people to stay home. 
And because of social media, it's easy to be consumed with the daily news, CNN, looking for updates. As we look for updates, you just see more cases of infections or more deaths, and it can look hopeless. The news might change next week as soon as this message is over. So there are definitely unique challenges that this pandemic brings. Social distancing, not gathering in large groups or for corporate worship, a lack of resources, a fear of what life will look like in the next few months or even maybe years. There is great worry and fear for many. I'm sure all of you have witnessed the panic buying in the past few weeks with the empty shelves at the grocery stores, people in masks and gloves, disinfecting everything in your own home. People are really worried and fearful in a time like this. The pandemic has really revealed where our hope and security lies. If our hope and security lies in the things of this world, it is natural to fear and worry and panic when so many things we have taken for granted have been taken away from us, whether that's our health, our job, our security, our finances, retirement accounts, even relationships. But if we find security in the things above, where Christ is, in the words of the Apostle Paul, seated at the right hand of God, we can have peace and security in the midst of such panic and fear, because our hope lies in the things of heaven. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a rock, solid, unshakable security that cannot be taken from a believer. In the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, what is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily, willingly, and ready from now on to live for him. As believers, we do not have to fear the days ahead. We do not have to fear the future. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your future is eternally secure. In the passage I chose this morning is Romans 8, choosing a big chunk from 18 to all the way to 39. Chose this because this passage has been encouraging my soul in these times. While the world remains uncertain about the future, we can have an eternal security that gives us comfort and peace. I believe that the world's greatest need is not the cure for the coronavirus, but peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest need of the world right now is the same need that the world has always needed, peace and security in God. Again, given our circumstances, I'm just going to do a fly over, over these passages and not spend too much time digging in. But I hope you would find security and sanity when the world is fearful, uncertain, and panicking in the gospel. 
the title of my message, Gospel Security in Uncertain Days, because what we need is not to find our security in our wealth or in our health or in government, but ultimately in God who saves through Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 18, 39 shows us three ways that the gospel gives us security in uncertain times such as these, so that we may have peace as we trust God's goodness through these troubled times. The gospel gives us security in our future, verses 18 to 25. The gospel gives us security in our salvation, verses 26 to 30. And the gospel gives us security even in our sufferings. And that's verses 31 to 39. If you have a Bible, would you read along with me as I start at verse 18? Hear the word of the Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait. For it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the reading of God's holy and inspired word.
first, the gospel gives us security in our future. That's found in verses 18 to 22. Paul says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I consider it's taken from a mathematical or a numerical term. It's the idea of deliberate calculation. Paul had a confidence about the future because of what Christ has secured for us. He says that the sufferings of this present time or this present age is not worth compared to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Paul thinks about eternity and he thinks about the present. And as he thinks about what is to come, all the sufferings in light of eternity seem light the parallel passage is found in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, where Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I just finished reading the Chronicles of Narnia, seven books by C.S. Lewis. And I'm amazed that after seven books in the final book, The Last Battle, with all the pain, all the adventures, the tragedy, the battles throughout all the books, the last book concludes with these words. All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And as Paul thinks about eternity and, and what is to come, every day will be better than before in eternity. In other words, Paul has an eternal perspective in regards to suffering. Yet he's also realistic about suffering. He doesn't deny that believers suffer. Because of Adam's rebellion and sin, creation we see in verse 19 and 20 was cursed. For the creation in verse 19 says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Creation here is personified as longing to be set free from its corruption. Verse 20 alludes to the very first chapters of Genesis. After Adam and Eve had sinned, the ground was cursed because of their rebellion against God. Not only did Adam die because of his sin, creation started to decay and unravel and be subjected to futility. Uh, the word means to uh, not carry its intended goal. Uh, it means purposeless. So in Adam's sin, creation itself was cursed. And the creation itself here is pictured as eagerly longing for the redemption of the son of God. So in the redemption of the son of God, creation itself would be set free. The idea of eager expectation, it, it has the idea of having your eyes fixed on a point of horizon in which an expected object is to come. Or when I go to the zoo with my kids, they, they lean over the rails to, to look at the animals with eager anticipation. And in the same way, creation is eagerly longing to be set free from the curse. Verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And Paul gives another metaphor. And you women know 
the the labors of those of you who have uh, born children, the, the morning sickness that comes, the evening sickness that comes, your body changing, uh, fatigue that sets in, and before the birth of your baby, the contractions growing closer and intensifying before the birth of a baby. And Paul likens the, the groanings of creation like the birth of a baby. Creation is longing to be liberated, longing to fulfill its original intention, longing to be set free from bondage, from viruses to natural disasters to death and decomposition. Paul is expecting a renewed creation. But not only is he longing for a renewed creation, but secondly, Paul is longing for a renewed body. He's longing for a renewed body. That's in verses 23 and 25. If this pandemic has taught us anything, it teaches us that we are mortal. You see, with the rise of science and technology, we functionally think we are invincible and we are immortal. And that's why people are worried that there is not going to be a cure or vaccine as, as death toll rises. But this pandemic has taught us that we are human, we are flesh, we are here one day and gone tomorrow. Paul understands that not only creation is subjected to decay, but our, even our own bodies are subjected to decay. Verse 23 says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Uh, interesting that Paul uses the word first fruits. The idea was in the Old Testament, the first fruit was something that was pledged from the beginning of a harvest. It would show the crops that were to come. Uh, the first fruits would, with Jesus Christ himself, was the first fruits of a new creation, and we would fall along with that. And Christians have been giving the, the, the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, the, the deposit of the Holy Spirit, the down payment of the Holy Spirit. So creation not only groans for renewal, but we ourselves groan for renewal. Longing for a resurrection body. Longing for the adoption as sons. Even though we have been legally adopted by the Father, we, we long for the experience and the intimacy of being in the Father's house. We long for our inheritance to come to fruition. That's what Paul is saying. You know, J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, he says that the ultimate blessings of salvation is not justification, even though that's great that we have been declared righteous by God. He says the greatest blessing of salvation is that we have been adopted by God. We get to experience intimacy with God the Father. And he says that's why we wait for this with hope. We wait with this with, with hope. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, verse 24, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, biblical hope is, is faith looking forward to the future, waiting for God to fulfill all of his promises. It's not wishful thinking. It's not wishing that you won the lottery. It's not wishing that your favorite team would win. No, hope has a certainty in regards to it that God will fulfill his promises because God is true and God is faithful to keep his promises. 
these trials we experience as a result of living in a fallen world, a cursed creation, a cursed body, makes us long for a creation that is renewed, long for a redemption of our bodies that is renewed. So, believer, do you have the hope that the Apostle Paul has, that Paul was certain that his future was secure? He had an eternal mindset. Jesus told us not to worry. We don't have to stockpile and hoard. We simply just need to look at the birds. You remember in Matthew chapter 6, three times Jesus says, do not worry. Do not worry about your food. Do not worry about your clothing. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. If God clothes the birds and he feeds the birds and he clothes the flowers of the field, how much more will he clothe you? The Christian does not have to ignore the problems of the world. We have a worldview that explains the reality, the pain, and the suffering that we experience. Yet at the same time, the Bible gives us hope in the midst of such pain. You see, sin is our greatest problem, which leads to a corrupted creation and the decomposition and the decay of our own bodies. We will experience trials because we live in a fallen world. In a fallen creation and a weak, decaying body, it should make us long for heaven. It should give us an eternal perspective. As we sing in the hymn, till all the ransomed church of God are safe to sin no more. Has this pandemic been making you long for heaven? Longing for the kingdom of God to come and be established? That the rule of God will be established on this earth as it is in heaven? And if you're not a Christian, what is your hope? Is your future secure? Because if you don't have a true lasting hope, then your future is not secure. Has your hope been in health? Has your hope been in your resources, in your career? Has your hope been in the government? All these things have been shaken. And it can produce fear and anxiety if you hope in these things. Suffering often reveals what we love and what we hope in. And if your hope is in the wrong place, then your future is uncertain. But a Christian, as mentioned, has an unshakable, unbreakable hope because of who we trust in. Because our Father has secured our future. But second, the gospel not only gives us security in regard to our future, but the gospel gives us security in our salvation. The gospel gives us security in our salvation. Notice in verse 26 and 27, the, the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayer. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Though we still remain in the flesh, yet believers have the Holy Spirit who supplies strength to our prayers and to our spiritual life. Oftentimes, if you're anything like me, we don't know what we ought to pray because of our own weakness and because we don't understand often the things of God or the infinite mind and wisdom of God. We don't know whether to pray for healing or whether to have strength and courage to deal with in a particular trial. Our prayers are often weak as I confess myself. But God in his spirit, who knows our hearts, who helps us by his own spirit, plead 
with us and, and for us according to the perfect will of God. Paul's not talking about tongues or some heavenly language. but he's talking about is oftentimes we don't know what to pray. But the Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate comes alongside us and he supplies strength even in our own desires helps us yearn for the things of God, even though we don't know how to express it in our own words. The Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers. He also helps us to know what we have been given in Christ. John Stott in his commentary says, first, the Spirit helps us because of our weekly half-saved situation. Secondly, the Spirit intercedes for us because of our ignorance of what to pray for. And thirdly, the Spirit intercedes according to God's will. And therefore, God listens and responds. And notice God's purpose in salvation. Not only God has given us the spirit to supply strength in our weakness, in our prayers, but God demonstrates his purpose in saving us. Romans 8.28, one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose we know and we continue to know we know that those who love god all things work together for good whether good or bad favorable circumstances unfavorable circumstances virus free or virus infective whatever circumstances you find yourself in whether good or evil god uses all those things for the completion of our salvation our glorification One church father has said, God uses painful things in this way to show us his great power. The New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner said, what is remarkable, though, that even in suffering and tribulation turn out for the good of the Christian. The text does not say all things are intrinsically good or pleasant, but instead that the most agonizing sufferings and evils inflicted on believers will be turned to their good by a good God. We can think about the Old Testament example of this, right? The story of Joseph, who was betrayed by his own brothers, who was sold into slavery, who was forgotten, even in prison, who was falsely accused. Remember what he said to his brothers when he rose to power in Egypt? As you, for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Paul is not denying moral evil in the world he's not denying even natural evil in the world but he is saying that even in the midst of the evil that we experience as believers god works all those things out for the good of the believer and why does god send us affliction well you remember calvin what he said is that calvin said that in suffering 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 is often an aid in our suffering and Uh, in our salvation and sanctification. We see that in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Uh, The word foreknow is is to, uh, to know beforehand. It is a sovereign, distinguishing love. In, in simple terms, God's eternal purpose, he had an affection for his people before the foundation of the world. Suffering often helps us look more like Jesus as we let trials do its work in our lives and as we submit to the sovereign will of God. It helps strips the idols of our lives and helps us to look to Christ and to the things of heaven. 
And Paul says that he is secure in his salvation because notice in verse 30, it says, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Again, this passage, many sermons have been devoted just to this one verse in the Bible. And it's a glorious passage. Uh, You can pick up many commentaries to study this passage. But like I said, I'm just going to go over it in a a flyby view. If you want more study on that, you can look at your own pastor's sermons on Romans 8. But notice he says, uh, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he set his affection upon or whom he marked out before the foundation of the world. I know that predestination is often a controversial topic, but if you understand predestination rightly, it is a great source of comfort for the believer. Again, notice uh, John Stott, he says in his commentary, the doctrine of divine predestination promotes humility, not arrogance, assurance, not apprehension, responsibility, not apathy, holiness, not complacency, and mission, not privilege. This is not to claim that there are no problems, but to indicate that they are more intellectual than pastoral. The doctrine of predestination is a comfort for the believer because those whom he predestined, he also called. Theologians distinguish between the external call of God in, in which the gospel goes forth to all creatures under heaven and the effectual call where actually those who hear the gospel, while some may not respond, the effectual call is those who will actually respond as the spirit regenerates believers to hear the word of Christ. And they respond and they ask Christ for forgiveness and to come and save them from their sins. So I think Paul is referring to the effectual call of God. Not only those whom he predestined, those whom he called, those whom justified. This is the idea of a courtroom. This is the idea of being acquitted and being found not guilty. And before the courtroom of God, those who have trusted in Christ, Romans 3, 21 to 26, have been declared righteous by the finished work and the wrath-bearing work of Jesus Christ. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Interesting, the, the, the verb tense is a, a, a completed action in the past. God glorified us in the past, and he will continue to glorify us. I don't have time to expound this rich theology, but the point is that not only is our future secure, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your salvation is secure. The doctrine of eternal security gives us comfort in such a time like this because God will keep us and no one will be able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. No one will be able to snatch you out of Jesus' hand. According to John chapter 10, verse 27 to 30. And saved people will often look a lot like Jesus. If you're not living a holy life or you have not been changed by Jesus, might mean that you're not one of his if you repent and turn from your sins god from all eternity know that you would respond to his call and when you responded to his call he declared you righteous and will keep you until he glorifies you in eternity christian do you believe that god is working everything for good every trial that he sends your way regardless of what happened regardless if God even takes our health or 
whether we have a job in the days ahead or whether we have the right resources, do you believe that God is still good and God still loves you? The church has often thrived in a time of plague. Why? Because while people were trying to flee and preserve their lives, Christians were rushing to help even at the risk of being contaminated in order to give their lives because they had a better and long-lasting hope. They were able to love in the worst of times because they had hope. They had Christ. They were even willing to sacrificially love because they had Jesus. Rodney Stark, in his book, The Rise of Christianity, he said this, Cyprian, Dionysius, Eusebius, and other church fathers thought that epidemics made major contributions to the Christian cause. I think so too, had classical society had not been disrupted, Christianity might never have become so dominant a faith. Christians were known for their generosity, courage, and sacrifice. And I hope that is for us too. I'm sure many of you Hacienda members, uh, many of you might be in the medical field or serving sacrificially and courageously because of the hope you have. All things work together for good for the believer. Every trial that God sends our way. God is a good, loving father who is sovereign over all things. The gospel not only gives us security in our future, in our salvation, but finally, God's love for us is secure even in our sufferings. God's love for us is even secure for us even in our sufferings. You know, one of the questions that believers will often ask, even unbelievers charge against Christian is if God loves us, why does he allow us to suffer? Why does he permit evil? Why doesn't he get rid of evil? This is the great atheistic and agnostic objection. As we saw last week, God will get rid of evil and he has already dealt with evil in the cross and he will one day vanquish all evil when he renews all of creation And there are some things in the will of God that we will not understand in this life, but we will only understand in the life to come. The Bible is clear that Christians are not exempt from suffering. But even in our suffering, uh, even the temptation is to turn away from God. No, uh, we should run to God in our pain, in our suffering. You see that all throughout the Psalms. Does God love you when things go wrong? Well, Paul wants you to ask five questions. If you doubt God's love for you in this season, ask yourself these five questions. First, in verse 31, if God is for you, who can be against you? Paul says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If, if God is on your side and not against you, you have nothing to fear. God is no longer a judge, but a father. The Bible says we were once enemies of God, but now he has reconciled us to himself through the atoning work of his son. If God is for you, who can be against you? The answer is no one. Second question, if God did not spare up his own son, how will he not graciously give us all things with him? That's in verse 32. Here is the greater to lesser argument. If God has done the hardest thing to possibly do in the universe, give you himself in his son. How will he not love you through lesser things? It's like when I go to the dollar store 
with my kids and I don't buy them a toy from the dollar store because I know that it will be, it will break or be thrown in the trash and because I want to buy them something better. And they begin to doubt my love because I don't want to get them something from the dollar store. No, what God is saying here, or Paul is saying here, is if God has done the hardest thing, giving up his own son, giving himself up, and dying for your sins, and rising again from the grave, how much more will he do the lesser? Third question, who can accuse you? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, Romans 8.33. Your conscience may accuse you. The devil may accuse you, never cease to press charges against us. Uh, the devil, uh, his, another name from his slanderer, he's called the accuser of the brothers. In addition, we have human enemies who delight to, to point fingers at us. But it says it is God who justifies. Or to echo the words of Isaiah 50, verses 8 and 9, He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me, who will declare me guilty. Behold, all of them will wear out like garment. The moth will eat them up. It's God who justifies. Because Christ rose again from the dead, God has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to declare you guiltless. And who is to condemn you? The fourth question. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So not only did Christ die, he was raised, and now he is seated at the right hand of God, a, a position of authority and a position of power, a position that shows that his work of redemption is now completed. You see, we deserve the condemnation and wrath of a holy God. Our, our greatest problem and our greatest enemy was our sin and the wrath of a holy God. But here's where the gospel comes in. Instead of punishing you and I, he punished his own son, who was born of a virgin, who lived a perfect life, who never had any sin, yet was punished for all of our sins and was raised to be a mediator, to be a high priest, to be an advocate, so that nothing would be able to separate us from God's love. We can come to Christ, and we can come to him freely, because he is seated at the right hand of God, completing the work of redemption. No one can condemn you if you are in Christ. And if that is not enough, we continue to ascend to the Mount Everest of Romans chapter 8. That's in verse 35 and 36. Who can separate you from God's love? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day, all the day long? We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's interesting that Paul quotes from Psalm 44. The context of the psalm is, is that believers were experiencing pain and persecution, not as a result of being disobedient to God, but as a result of being loyal to God. In other words, the psalmist is lamenting the sufferings of righteous people who have not abandoned God's name. They are subjected to hum humiliation, defeat, fear, and, and mocking. And Christians are not exempt from mockery, humiliation, pain, or suffering. Yet, in all these things, in verse 37, Paul says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Hyper, 
conquerors or super conquerors is actual, the actual word. Even if the devil were trying to conquer us through death, we would still conquer him in our dying because we would be with Christ. And he lays out all these different trials that believers experience, tribulation, distress, persecution as a result of clinging to Christ's name, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. He says nothing can separate us from God's love. And that's in verse 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No disease, no disaster, no sin, no death can separate you, a child of God, from his love. Christian, you do not have to be crippled by fear in this time. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, and if you have the love of God within you, you don't have to fear any circumstance in your life because God has already done the hardest thing, giving himself to you and his son. Or to put in the words of the Apostle John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So Christian, we don't have to hoard or seek to preserve our lives. Instead, we can give our lives to service and sacrificially serving others to display the fragrance of Christ when others are given to fear and worry and panic. Christian, what an opportunity to walk by faith and not by sight, to trust in a loving Heavenly Father who has secured our future and secured our salvation and even in our sufferings turn everything out for our good. Christian, we are to care for members who are suffering. We are to show compassion. And we are willing to display this radical lifestyle because we have the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. A, a true biblical gospel does not deny the realities of suffering. But in suffering, suffering is redemptive, as we see in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or again, to put it in other words of another writer, in giving his son, he gave everything. The cross is the guarantee of the continuing, unfailing generosity of God. We can rejoice in our King who works all things together for our good. If you're not a Christian, there is something worse than the coronavirus. That is the wrath of God. A plague like this should cause you to pause and ponder the mortality of your own life. The greatest plague to humanity that we are all born with is our sin. Any of us can get sick. Any of us can die. And if you die without Christ, you will experience greater suffering that no earthly disease can compare to. Because you have sinned against a holy God. Hell is a place of eternal conscious torment. But the Bible says if you turn from your sins, if you look to the Christ who has come to suffer for your sins, who was raised to stand as your meteor and your high priest and as your advocate, if you, if you come to Christ, your future is secure. Your salvation is secure. And even in your sufferings, God's love for you is secure. 
are in the words of one Puritan to know Christ is to know his benefits. Turn to him. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But if you come to Christ, we we will be justified or declared righteous by faith. And we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Notice that the triune God has secured our future, has secured our salvation. Even in our sufferings, we are secured by the love of the Father, the redemption of the Son, and the application of the Spirit's work. We don't know what will take place in the future. We don't know what will happen in the days ahead. But if you know Christ, you know that the best is yet to come because your future is secure. If you know Christ, the best is yet to come because our salvation is secure. And if you know Christ, the best is yet to come because no earthly suffering can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord and what is to come. Our salvation is secured by a loving triune God. And may you draw near to him in this season and in all season. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, how it gives us comfort. That truly, O oh Lord, that you are only our comfort in life and in death. That your son has secured our salvation. Your spirit has applied that work of redemption so that we can give thanks to you, our heavenly father, always and in all seasons, knowing that all things work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We pray for those who have not trusted in you. We pray that they would turn to Christ and they would experience the love of you, the triune God, as they look to a gracious Savior who has died for them and who has been raised. Will they repent and turn from their sins and look to the Christ who offers us such peace in uncertain times? such security in uncertain times. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.